Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for the introduction. This is Season 10 of Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SEP, our very longest running Game Changers series. So welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, as I always say, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. I have an interesting quote to kick off today's show, a quote from CFO.com. How appropriate is that? Listen up. A majority of executives and investment professionals agree that environmental, social, and governance, that's ESG programs, enhance shareholder value. Finance leaders can help spur companies to develop sustainability goals. That's the key, everybody. That's what we're talking about today. By articulating the financial benefits of sustainability projects and establishing criteria for funding the company's ESG investments that account for their full range of benefits. There, I laid it out for you. Now, let me give you a little bit more background before I have my three esteemed panelists introduce themselves to you. So, sustainability, it's not just a global agenda. It's a corporate agenda. We're talking to you our business listeners around the world. And it's a topic that is driving fervent and heated discussion in boardrooms around the world. C-suites, where all those chairs have C on the back of them. Not surprisingly, the office of the CFO is key and central to these discussions. You may be surprised about that, but we're not surprised. Regulations and standards are still emerging, and they differ across geographies. Where in the world you are, what the footprint of your company is, where you're headquartered, where your branches are, yes. One thing is clear. Organizations will need to be accountable, responsible, and in compliance with sustainability requirements. Or, I'm not going to say do or die, but there may be significant consequences if they don't. We're all aware of that. However, let's flip the table a little bit here. Many forward organizations see sustainability as an opportunity to create something better, to become leaders in building sustainable, profitable businesses. That's where we get to the business part here. And sustainability will be a new way of doing business. You still have to meet compliance, ethical and moral obligations, but they want to carve out new competitive advantages and technology will be part of the process. So question we're going to try to answer for all of you, our business listeners around the world, how can your organization prepare for the business and systems transformations needed for what we'll call this brave new sustainable world? It's not millennials just going for this anymore. It's all of us. So I have Simon Meitz with us today. Hello, Simon. He's at EY. We have his colleague. Hi, we have John Scott at EY. Hello, John. You could wave for the video. And we have Michelle Hassendonks, the man with the name I have tried to remember how to pronounce all these years. He hasn't been (laughs) on in a couple of years. Michelle is at SAP. And I'm going to ask them for their take on our special topic today, sustainability, a 21st century challenge for the CFO. Oh, and a quick shout out to the sponsors of this series at SAP. We have Chris Grundy, Birgit Starmans, and Pras Chatterjee. So I am still Bonnie D. Graham after that long introduction. And now let's get started. Simon Meitz, I would love for you to please put you on full speaker view. I, Simon is, I wish everybody could see this. We're on Zoom. He is standing there with this fabulous 
clothing on. He's got a dark jacket and something in his breast pocket of his coat. And he's in front of three screens and there's oceans and traffic behind him. He's he's on stage. We've never had a panelist on stage like this. Simon, please do me the honor of introducing <laughs> yourself to our audience. Tell them why you're here. What's your passion for the topic and what makes you an expert on this? Simon Mites, welcome. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for the introduction. Yeah, I'm coming to you from Munich, from actually our wave space in Munich. This is where it all culminates. This is where strategy meets digitalization and meets uh, decarbonization topics. Um, a bit about myself. Got 13 years of experience working in client-facing strategy, implementation, transformation management roles in a consulting capacity, as well as in industry roles in the UK, a bit in Germany, Switzerland, and I spent uh, two years in the United Arab Emirates as well. I've done some strategy work there. I've done, uh, I helped uh, Qatar to build their industrial strategy, for example. Great, exciting things. And um, currently, I am uh, Associate Director Strategy at EY. I have co-founded EY Carbon, and I'm responsible also for our alliance partners. On the side, so not when I'm not working for EY, I'm, always, I'm also a part of the expert panel for the International Economic Council with a focus on digitalization and Industry 4.0. Um, also, I'm a startup mentor at the Westerwelle Young Founders Program. So this is something really exciting to see young fund founders grow their uh, businesses, particularly in the digitalization space, but more and more also in the sustainability arena. Um, I've written a couple of articles, a couple of chapters for books about strategy 4.0, about industry 4.0, and going way, way back, I've studied uh, mathematics, first of all, then law and economics at the University of Eichstätt, Augsburg, and uh, latest also at the London School of Economics. Thank you so much. Thank you, Simon. We have never on the radio show since we've been doing it on Zoom have somebody in presentation mode like you. As I said, I wish our listeners could see could see you in front of your multiple screens there. I, I, I am so intrigued with your background. I was I think I was a math major back in the day. <laughs> Simon, I was on the competitive math team in my junior high school, which they call middle school now, where we traveled to other schools and we were given very very interesting and odd mathematical problems to solve. And we had a proctor in the room and we were timed and we had to come up with an answer. And it was very, very exciting. I, I love it. And I will tell you that in, in graduate school, I took a course in business statistics and I refused to use a slide rule. And I did all my calculations by pencil and all the other students were men. And I aced the class. I got a 4.0 in the course and 100%. Amazing. And they were really mad at me because they said, what's a girl doing here? And she, she's figuring everything out. With it. So, so I, math just sparked something in me. And I, I'm so intrigued, Simon, that you mentioned the young, young business leaders and the entrepreneurs you work with. And you said sustainability is on their radar. And that's what we're talking about today. That's the audience we want to include in this discussion. Very important. Pleasure to meet you, Simon Mites. Thanks Thank so you so much. Let's go to who is next. Let me look at my pictures here and see John Scott, also at EY. John, pleasure to have you on the show as well. I'm going to put you on speaker view. We'd love to hear who you are. Why are you here? What's your passion for the topic? John, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Great to be here. Um, look, by trade, I'm a management accountant. Um, and my area of expertise is in enterprise performance management. So forecasting, planning, analysis processes. If I've got a speciality or something that I'm really interested in, it's how to model and manage profitability. 
So my work tends to be with large multinational organizations. By trade, I'm a management accountant. Um, and my area of expertise is in enterprise performance management. So all about forecasting, planning, and analysis processes. Um, my particular speciality is how we model and manage profitability. So my work tends to be with larger multinationals. Uh, I've worked across most industry sectors, helping to create end-to-end -end performance management solutions. So that's all the process definition, and then how we design and implement that with supporting technologies. Um, and most recently, sustainability is an important topic for most of the organizations we deal with. And it's a natural progression uh, in my work to embed that into the sustainability metrics, into the reporting, into the performance management processes. So to me, the topic of how organizations can achieve mm -hmm. sustainable mm -hmm. profitability is super exciting because it goes across the entire organization and it's much broader than just the traditional financial metrics that we, that we normally deal with. So that's, uh, that's why I'm really excited about this whole topic. Thank you very much. And, and John, I have a question for you. We want you to hold your mic really close to your mouth so that Zoom gets you, yes, so that when I, I talk do. to you, oh, be still my heart. Thank you very much. John, is, is sustainability, profitability, is this something that is keeping the people you work with up at night? Is this, oh, we have to be profitable and sustainable, sustainable and profitable. Is this breaking news, what we're talking about today? Just a quick overview I, from I, you. I, th I think it absolutely is. You know, the, the topic of sustainability has firmly been at the C-suite um, for a long time now, but it's becoming real. And I think for the CFO, it's, it's broad ranging. Um, what's the impact on our financing, on our investment options? Uh, how do consumers view us? Could we put different pricing on our products if we could evidence uh, better sustainability metrics? Are we able to attract talent into the organization if we can prove we're behaving sustainably? So I think it's very firmly a, a topic for the CFO and indeed the, the rest of the organization. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate the overview. And now let's go to our third panelist, Michelle Hasendunk. So happy to have you back. It's been way too long. Don't stay away that long. I'll tell Chris Grundy to make sure you get on more of this guest list. There you go. Michelle, please reintroduce yourself. It's been a while. So I usually say with a returning guest, there might be 5.3 people in the world who don't remember you and shame on them, but there might be more than that since it's been a while. So, Michelle, please reintroduce yourself to our financial excellence audience. And what's your passion for being here? I would assume there's definitely more uh, than 5.3 in the world that don't remember me. Uh, <laughs> but, thanks for the, but, but thanks for the compliment anyhow, uh, Bonnie. And it's, it's fantastic to be back uh, on, 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 on this show. Uh, definitely like it um, actually to participate, but also to be on the other side and listen in. Um, so yeah, Michelle here. Um, I'm based out of uh, Belgium, a very small uh, company, uh, country uh, out, of, out of Europe. But I'm, uh, let's say, I'm part of a global team uh, at SAP uh, responsible for, let's say, what we, I should almost say, used to call FP&A, financial planning and analysis, mm -hmm. because over time, it is evolving uh, towards XP&A more and more, uh, extended planning and analysis, let's say, in Gartner terms. Uh, but in fact, we should even take it wider than that because in XP&A, I don't, I don't ever hear anything about sustainability. And although, let's say... Um, uh, XP&A is already a much better uh, approach than than, than FP&A because of what John also just just said. Let's say uh, historically finance professionals, and I'm also having a finance background. I used to be a CFO and a, and a management accountant myself in my in one of my previous lives. <laughs> let's say. Um, 
let's say more and more I'm really um, looking looking into the topic of sustainability. You asked to to mention why I would be an expert. Honestly, mm-hmm. I don't think I am an expert in sustainability, but what I try to be good at is, let's say, understanding all of the ins and outs of of let's say the performance, the business performance of, of an organization. And, and that's basically where sustainability is really becoming more and more important. Like salespeople typically focus on the top line, finance people on the bottom line, but we are focusing here on the green line. Uh, and that's really critical, uh, I think. And, and more and more, let's say, uh, organizations are seeing this and 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 I don't think it's a surprise that more and more finance professionals are getting involved because that's basically where all of the different angles of an organization come together, all of the operational drivers, including sustainability drivers. Um, and that's basically what's making it uh, a passion, uh, well, something that I'm passionate about because what I try to do is, uh, let's say, bring all of those angles together to make sure that we can really uh, bring um, a performance of an organization to to the uh, top level. As Thank much you, as Michelle. Possible. Well, that makes you an expert in, in my mind for being here and a proponent, an advocate, an evangelist. I think we can say that all three of you are advocates and proponents of sustainability and sustainable profitability. There we go. Now is the time of the show where I've asked my guests, this is to our listeners who may be new. This is our most popular show over the years. And so I'm, I'm very glad to welcome the thousands of you around the world who are either listening live or will hear this this on demand. It'll be available on demand in a few hours after we're off the air live. So I've asked my panelists to send me a quote from a movie, a song, character in a TV show. We get fascinating quotes. And the quote on the surface has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And they're going to explain in their own words why they think the quote does. So Simon Mites has sent us a quote from Optimus Prime, known as Convoy in Japan. I had to put that in, Simon. Fictional character in Transformers, an American animated TV series from 1984 to 1987. That was a long time ago. Based on Hasbro's Transformers toy line. And Optimus is a fictional extraterrestrial species of sentient, self-configuring, modular robotic life forms, a synergistic blend of biological, how could you do this to me, Simon? A synergistic blend of biological evolution and technological engineering, and he's a Cybertronian. I'm just going to stop there. You're making me work real hard here. So here's the quote Simon has selected from Optimus Prime. We can't, I don't know the accent. I don't know what he sounds like. We can't stand by and watch the destruction of this beautiful planet. Simon, I think we know what that has to do with our topic, but we want to hear it in your own words. That much under the surface, first of all. Go ahead. Uh, Second of all, probably everybody uh, under 35, under 40 probably knows Transformers. I think it's been a very popular um, movie season as well. So, the quote I've chosen, we can't st- stand by and watch the destruction of the beautiful planet. Um, why did I choose this? I think what's key here, it is a very strong call for action. And the same is true for the action against climate change. We need to act, and we need to act mm-hmm. now. <clears throat> what happens if we stop? And I think we've seen that during the corona crisis, and we've seen the effects of stopping industrial activity. If we look at China, for example, we had a temporary reduced CO2 emissions of a quarter. That was over a period of four weeks. In brackets, actually 
by the end of the year, it's all back to normal, and they've, I think, uh, actually increased it by nearly 2% or something like that. So we need to look at stopping and what the costs are. From an economic point, I'm not even discussing human lives here. That's mm -hmm. been a horrible, horrible time, the crisis, and I hope we get through that. Um, if we look at the price, for example, for... Um, that is estimated by economists that reflect the true costs for greenhouse gases, it's estimated at about, around about $100 per ton. Looking at the cost that that economic downturn of the economic crisis uh, in, during corona has caused, we're looking at costs as estimated between $3,000 and $6,000 per ton. So in a nutshell, 32 30 to 50, 60 times more than the fair price for um, CO2 emissions. So stopping is not an option. So we need to grow. But we need to grow smarter and we need to change our behaviors to do so. We need to be more brave. We need to be more bold to move against barriers. We need to be more flexible to change our behavior. We need to be more creative to actually adjust our approaches. And we need trust. Trust to get the resources behind us and to drive the transformation. And that's basically what I see in that quote. We can't be passive. We can't stand by. So we need to get behind this big purpose. And I see that in the younger generation right now of saving our planet. Thank you very much, Simon. Very eloquently delivered. And I have to tell you that the series is also known as Generation One a term coined by fans in response to the rebranding of the Transformers franchise, Generation 2, in 1992. I had to add that because I have no idea what this stuff is about. But thank you for the introduction. You have broadened my cultural expanse here. Thank you very much. Let's move on. John Scott has sent us a quote from Dumbledore, played by the late great actor Richard Harris in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, a 2002 fantasy film. And let me read a little bit here. Al Albus Percival. Wolfric Brian Dumbledore, that's a lot of names, is a fictional character, of course, in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. For most of the series, he is the headmaster of the wizarding school Hogwarts. As part of his backstory, it's revealed he is the founder and leader of the Order of the Phoenix, an organization dedicated to fighting Lord Voldemort, the main antagonist of the series. And the reason the name Dumbledore was chosen, it's a dialectical word for Bumblebee because his love of music J.K. Rowling imagined him walking around, <laughs> humming to himself all the time. Here is the quote John has selected. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. John, how does this relate to our topic? Go ahead. I think to me, this, this really sums it up and it builds on something Simon just said there of, of being bold. I think as, as individuals and, and corporates and organizations, we've all got the ability to act differently. Uh, and we've all got the ability to improve our own sustainability metrics. But I think it's whether we'll choose to. So I think, you know, really uh, to achieve that change, we need to make different choices. And then thinking about the, the topic for today's discussion uh, and how it relates to that, we see that the, the CFO and the Office for Finance is all about providing information, providing analysis to the organization to inform their decision making and so that they can make better choices. So to me, that, that was the link between these uh, between the quote and the topic for today. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate the quote. Thank you for the research, and thank you for introducing us to that. We get an occasional Dumbledore quote on the show, and I like that very much. Always a good nod to J.K. Rowling for all the work she's done in her imagination. She is sustaining imagination, right? She is sustaining the creative approach to fantasy writing. Thank you very much. Michelle Hasendong has sent us a quote from Bruce Springsteen's song, Dancing in the Dark. It's He added up-tempo synthesizer riffs to his sound for the first time, Michelle. I hope you're very much aware from that. Aware of that. The song spent four weeks at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and sold over one million singles in the U.S. when we had singles. It was the first single released from the 1984 album Born in the USA and became Bruce Springsteen's biggest hit. The album was the best-selling of his entire career, and we know his career, how much it spans. So, uh, he wrote it overnight after John Landau convinced him that the album needed a single. I'll just leave it there. Here's the quote. It's a wonderful line. I can't tell you how many. Well, I don't go to a lot of weddings, but I remember this was used as we- at weddings and bar mitzvahs for people to, to sing the words. You can't start a fire without a spark. I'm not even going to try to sing it. Michelle, talk to us. Great quote. What does it have to do with our topic? Michelle has a dunks. I was just hoping you were going to sing it as a drummer, right? <laughs> I, remember I could have that. drummed it. Yes, I could have drummed it. My drums are in the other room. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Anyway, the reason why, there's different reasons why, uh, why I immediately thought of this one uh, is, I, first of all, Bruce Springsteen was the first international artist that I saw on stage, full concert in a big concert hall in, uh, it's in my little country, Belgium, when I was 14 years old. I will never forget and it was around the time that he, let's see, launched uh, this exact album, Born in the USA, on this, on which basically we find this. Uh, but of course, that's not the main reason. Um, but let's say the, the quote for me means that actually, like, you can't really change the world without starting small. You need to start somewhere. And actually, I think that's something which still a lot of us are looking uh, for. Is let's say, what is now the best approach? Where to start in order to tackle this incredible uh, let's say beast called uh, the sustainability topic because like everybody is aware that we need to change we need to drastically change uh, but let's because it's such a huge thing uh, there's so many people that are and organizations that are getting paralyzed and let's not do that let's let's start somewhere and and luckily a lot of organizations have in the mean, in meantime started um, but there's still a long way to go. Uh, but we need to go there because otherwise we keep on dancing in the dark, uh, which basically would mean that we're not really running anything in, in a proper way. And let's say we'll be ending up bumping into the wall uh, at the end of the road. Um, and nobody wants that. Thank you very much. I'm trying to remember the melody. You can't start a fire without a spark. That's completely wrong, but uh, that's how the drums would sound. Bada, 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 <laughs> boom. I just play, we, we do, we perform and we practice my band in my garage. I'm here in North Carolina. And because our clubhouse in the community has been shut down for almost a year and they're not allowing large crowds. So we open the garage door and we play and people walk by and they stop in. We, My band plays Latin songs, Latino music, mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. So I was doing some 
nice syncopation on the drums yesterday. We'll leave it at that. Okay. So let's move to the roundtable part of the show. And here's where we're going to get really into a deep dive in the topic. Simon Mites, I'm going to use your statement number one to kick this off. And here's how it works. Simon, I'll read the statements. Very interesting. It's not that long. And I'm going to ask you to unpack it like they say on the news shows. Take about three minutes, Simon, please. And then I will invite John Scott to come in and agree or disagree. John, don't be afraid of disagreeing with Simon. It's okay. Come we, over there. we have insurance. We, we, have, we have protection <laughs> insurance for you. And then, Michelle, you get the privilege or the pleasure of agreeing or disagreeing with both, either or, with Simon and or with John. Then if we have time, Simon, I'll come back and ask you to respond to what they said. And at that point, I will have selected one of John Scott's statements, which I'll put in the chat for you, John. And then we will, I will read that and we'll go around the table. It would be John, Michelle, and Simon. And then we'll do one from Michelle. So let's get going. Simon Mites told me the following before the show. He said, as investors are moving towards a more long-term value-driven and formalized ESG evaluation. They're looking for corporates to provide standardized and rigorous non-financial data to support their approach. I'm going to stop there. Simon, take us through this, please. So what we see in the market is that stakeholders in general are moving from mere lip service, like talking on panels, to actually actions. We see a strong trend that ESG evaluations are moving towards being a key factor in day-to-day business decisions. And let me give you one heading that I've just read a couple of days back. It says, France's biggest insurance AXA dumps German power giant RWE over coal. So AXA literally became the first insurer to impose coal-related underwriting restrictions. And they will even go a step further. They will cut their ties with uh, RWE and uh, they won't even provide insurance for for their renewable projects. So that's how far we've come in some cases already. Investors are raising the stakes and they're moving towards a more rigorous ESG evaluation. That's in the quote. This is also supported by our Global Institutional Investor Survey. According to our Global Institutional Investor Survey, we have 72% of investors that conduct actually a structured and methodical evaluation of non-financial disclosures. And this is a quantum leap compared to the data of 2018, where that number stood at 32%. Investors need ESG disclosures that are clear, they need them to be transparent and founded on high-quality data, and they need to be produced using robust and reliable processes and systems. So data is a massive issue here as well. So the question is, how do companies meet these expectations of the investors and ensure that ESG performance plays a critical role in this crisis-hit world? I want to pick out three areas, three key areas that I see that play a major role here. First of all, um, we need to build a stronger connection between non-financial and financial performance. Second of all, we need to build a more robust approach to analyzing risks and opportunities from climate change and the transition to a decarbonized future. And third, 
we need to instill discipline into non-financial reporting processes and controls to build confidence. And that is very important and underlined in bold trust. So this where it comes to the role of the CEO, uh, CFO, excuse me. They need to be establishing effective governance practices, seeking for independent assurance of non-financial processes, controls, and data outputs, so they can help to build exactly the trust that is much needed and the transparency the investors are seeking. Thank you very much, I'm Simon. I'm more than happy to go into more detail. But we want to get the reactions around the table. The Thank you. Point. That was articulated beautifully. I appreciate it. You brought up so many interesting things there. They're both nodding. They're both saying, wow, we've got a lot to talk about here. John Scott holding his mic. We appreciate that. I'm going to put you on speaker view, John. Please respond, agree or disagree. Remember, don't be afraid of Simon. It's okay. We have protection. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, not not too scared of Simon just yet. But the um, I, I think at the moment I've got, got to agree with what, a lot of what you've said there. I'm picking up on that building trust piece. And if we're thinking mm-hmm. in practice about the external disclosures that organizations make, my mind goes to the, the future like of that. So it's not reporting what we've done in our actual data sets, but it's reporting or disclosing what we plan to do in the future. So we're forecasting. And we all know that when we're uh, communicating with external stakeholders, that that forecast accuracy is super important. Because to the extent that we don't meet those forecasts, then we've got a variance, then we've got a delta. It reduces the trust, it reduces the um, stability and, and the accuracy that they can put on that information. So I think that that building trust has uh, got multiple different points to it. Uh, I think, Simon, you're also saying about you know building the, uh, the auditability, the, the regularity aspect over the non-financial data. Um, Yes, I think organizations will probably go there of their own accord. I think they will voluntarily give the commitments around those non-financials in the same way that they do as the financials because they want investors or external stakeholders to be able to trust the data. So, so you know, if you think about what that really means in practice for, for the CFO and the Office of the Finance, it is the robust processes, it's the governance, and it's the systems and technology behind it. Thank you very much, John. Interesting. And uh, we'll get Simon's reaction to what you said after we hear from Michelle. Michelle, I'm putting you on speaker view. Please respond to Simon and or to John. Go ahead, Michelle. Hasn't done. Sure. Yeah, the logical step I would make is, let's see, immediately jump into technology and how technology supports and the importance of data and how can we capture all of that. But hey, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, I think I think one, one key element uh, uh, of, of, of basically what John added on top of what Simon was saying is the importance of looking ahead because it's it's all nice to look see, look back and report on 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 the current situation and and whatsoever and well like we are all sick and tired of of that basically because basically you can't really change anything uh, from from the past um, so I think that's like, I do agree with let's say that being really the core element and the ability to be to be able to play around with scenarios simulate what might come up uh, out of that. I, I think that's, that's really crucial. Um, but actually coming, going way back to uh, where Simon started, let's say with the investors. And I, I think uh, like just from my personal perspective, I, I think it's interesting to see, let's say the importance uh, from, let's say the pressure that investors and where capital can be gotten from uh, to basically uh, get your uh, organization, uh, let's say grow and evolve over time. 
Um, it's interesting to see, let's say, there's a lot of uh, increase in, in, in importance from that side, because let's say the other side is actually the, the pure governmental approach, like governments want to make sure that the world gets cleaner, but actually that was already, let's say, on the agenda since, since a long time, and nothing really happens uh, with that. It's, it's, um, it's really since, since invest, investors are really focusing on this risk aspect, uh, let's say, and that's where insurance comes in, that's where capital, uh, um, let's say the, the, the delivery of, uh, of, of capital uh, uh, for, for companies comes in. That's really uh, interesting to, to see that that piece is really moving, uh, let's say, organizations around because, well, it's just a necessity. And in a way, we need to have this type of burning platform and just saving the world, apparently, and, and this might sound like a little harsh, but up till recently didn't seem to be uh, the burning platform in itself, mm -hmm. making sure that your company survives and grow and can, let's say, evolve seems to be, yeah, definitely a burning platform. And, and luckily, basically, we've been able to turn this around uh, because from, from that side, we could, let's say, make, uh, make uh, let's say, companies greener and save the world at, at the same time through basically the pressure that these investors are putting in there. So I'm only glad to see, let's say, there's finally, uh, let's say, a big spotlight on this overall topic um, driven from, let's say, the profitability side in a, in a, to a large extent. That's just my view. Thank you very much. And that's exactly what we wanted. Simon, briefly, anything you'd like to say back to your co-panelists? Um, you've touched on the right, uh, I think you touched exactly on the right uh, topics. I think in terms of uh, data, and we're honing in on the data um, topic already, which is key to actually drive that development. Um, we need to move from the now to beyond and I think there's, in my mind, three piece, pieces of the puzzle, um, three steps we need to implement. We need to move from the now, the manual reporting. There's a lot of spreadsheets still being used within companies to an actually automated, real-time carbon reporting. That's number one. The next step would be then to actually introduce some um, artificial intelligence to shape, and we're looking ahead here, uh, future scenarios, including internal and external sources. That's very important. And uh, to do so, we need to create the infrastructure as well. So sharing sustainability data across ecosystems will be key for the future. It's key to go beyond the company borders, particularly, and I'm coming from an emissions perspective here, if you're not only looking at uh, scope one emissions or two, but if you're moving into scope three emissions, i.e. you are actually looking downstream, upstream, you're looking at your supplier system and you're looking um, into your um, downstream activities as well. Thank you, Simon. Great comments. And thank you for kicking off the roundtable with such a meat on the bones topic. Uh, we appreciate that. And, and I particularly also, like John did, picked up on the word trust in there. It's a very interesting human aspect to all we're talking about, right? Sustainability is something we're trying to do as, as human beings to save our planet, to save our world, but trust 
whom there used to be a TV show called Who Do You Trust? And for years, people debated it should have been Whom Do You Trust? And that didn't make for a good TV. Anyway, I'll move on. John Scott, I've picked statement number one from you. Uh, Interesting. Here it is. Reporting and disclosure is not enough, John says. Sustainability metrics must be embedded into an enterprise performance management processes. That's a loaded statement. John, take your time. Please expand this, unpack it for us, and then we'll see what Michelle and Simon have to say. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I I think we're touching on that through some of the the discussion already, that yes, disclosure, mandatory disclosure, reporting is important. You could even argue it's a must-have. And I think we could expect more regulation to come in the future. But it's still just reporting the actual data set. It's telling us what's happened. And it's silent to our thoughts on the future and and what will happen. Um, So that's why I'm saying that it's really that performance management. Uh, Michelle mentioned the the extended forecasting, planning, and analysis. And I like that idea. We could build on that further to say, consider the, the concept of triple bottom line, where we're making the connection between social, environmental, economic metrics. And, and speaking with, with colleagues and organizations, that's really what they're seeking, that perhaps today you could look down one of those silos. You could say, okay, well, how could I improve my CO2 footprint? But what does it mean from a economic or so- social perspective? How do we uh, consider our investment appraisal decisions? Are we just looking at the economic impact of that? Or are we able to quantify through a robust process and some technology, the impacts on social and environmental metrics? And, and to me, that's really a more comprehensive or extended performance management capability. Um, and I think if we, if we extend that thought process a bit more, it's not just internally in the organization to improve your own performance and your metrics, but it's going back to what Simon uh, just opened with his statement of the external disclosures. How do investors perceive us? If we're able to communicate uh, our future performance and, and achieve those um, goals and those targets, will we benefit through our share price? Will we benefit through uh, increased customer or, or market share? So I think the, the link between the sustainability strategy and applying that in practice is really the performance management piece in between. How do we then set those objectives and goals within the organization? Is it operations? Is it supply chain? Mm -hmm. Is it sales? To make sure that the correct actions and activities are in place to meet the the metrics. And I think, again, that's where the, the CFO and the Office of Finance is really at the heart of this. Because to achieve that in practice, we need data modeling. We need some technology behind it to identify those drivers to the metrics and then say what actions and activities need to be embedded in the organization and to set some KPIs behind those. So, so that's my, my point of view as to why reporting disclosure, yes, it's important. We need it. It's a must have, but we've got to go beyond that. We've got to do better and, and move into real performance management. Thank you, John. Very interesting. The urgency, the need to move beyond, the need to get that. I think Michelle called it a burning platform of how do we actually do this? What are the drivers? How do we get to that point? Whose job is it anyway? You covered a lot, John. Thank you. Michelle Hasendonks, would you please respond to Mr. Scott? Agree or disagree? Go ahead, Michelle. 
honestly, I would say it's it's very hard to disagree, which maybe is not really interesting for the show. But uh, <laughs> uh, but but no, it, it, I I fully am, am with what uh, what John is saying, and I often refer to it just let's say to reword it. Maybe mm-hmm. is that basically what we're all after, and what CFOs and and their organization, his or or her team, is more and more let's say let's say um, uh, looked at is to make sure that there's a increasingly uh, well, increasing focus on, on value creation for the company, which is kind of the same thing as telling that we need to make sure that we focus on, on, on performance or business performance, uh, which comes indeed, let's say, from all kinds of different sites. And, um, and two elements I'd like to stress because I well, like also see um, and, and, and I strongly believe that there's, let's say, there's an incredible importance uh, in that is that, let's say, it comes from all different angles and all different corners within the organization, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, let's say that the first examples typically come in, that typically come in, well, if I can produce more energy uh, or, let's say, with, with consuming lower energy and, let's say, lower emission, like that's going to cost me less. Yeah, that's a very narrow view. On, on let's say the matter and of course then in the second iteration you could say well if i basically um can put a green sticker on my car then everyone's to buy it so basically i'm going to increase my top line which is again a very simplistic way of of looking at it but then there's all of the other elements there's there's also let's say non pure let's say ecological but the, let's say the, the the more the social aspect which i think is is up till now maybe I don't want to call it under-highlighted. Everybody knows that it's there. Uh, but for instance, like, uh, let's say, um, to attract, let's say, talented people um, to work for your organization, to make your organization successful, like I think let's say more and more, let's say, and, and especially younger generations, luckily, at least that's the feeling I have, are going to, let's say, sign up for, for, for greener businesses rather than, mm-hmm. let's say, than, than non-green uh, businesses. And like that, there's all kinds of other areas, I think. But, but really, the, the, the last point, um, uh, because time, time is flying, is, is in fact, let's say, this end-to-end approach, which we need to uh, really go for across different organizations. Because let's say we can't solve this problem in an isolated way. Uh, so really linking the different value chains uh, or the entire value chain, basically, across different organizations and make sure that end-to-end uh, we, uh, we get to a better sustainability situation. I think that's where we really need to strive for. However, um, I think there's a big issue there currently with the comparability of, uh, of multiple organizations, how they measure, how they report, how they even simulate, let's say, the future um, and I'm going to leave it to that for now. Thank you, Michelle. I was going to pick up on that for our next talking point is your statement number four about that. So you can expand more. Simon, join us. Please yeah. thoughts on what John introduced and what Michelle commented on. Simon, Mites, go ahead. I'm more than happy to. Um, John mentioned uh, one word that stuck with me was uh, silos. Um, so first of all, I mean, from from my from my background and from a European perspective, it's the decarbonization journey that drives nearly everything. That doesn't mean that we need to uh, that we should include all the other um, sustainability goals. Those are um, uh, you can hear those basically in the background still. Um, what's important? You also said you need to quantify it. Basically, we need to put a price tag on it. And I think here exactly is the link between. Um, First of all, a transparency of 
CO2 emissions, that's number <clears> one, <throat> then you need to put a price on it. Um, that's the basis to actually start talking even to your suppliers. And that's the basis also to actually integrate it into um, your strategic thinking and, and your transformation, in our case, towards uh, carbon zero. And this also means at the same time that we now need to, of course, link the office of the CFO a lot closer to um, the CEO office, to the strategic decision making. Um, it's decarbonization needs to, embedded, needs to be embedded into everything. Think about it more like um, digitalization in general. We can't think about digitalization only in a certain department or, or in, the, in, the, uh, in a compartmentalized way. We need to think about it in a holistic way, and it needs to be embedded in all functions throughout the, the company. And this means a CFO needs to be more and closer linked also to the strategic decisions on whether the company is, is um, going to. Thank you, Simon. Very interesting. John, Scott, anything you'd like to say back to either or both of your co-panelists? I, th I think they're both picking up on those. Uh, Hold up your mic. They, sorry, I think there they're, they're both picking up on those connections that the finance office needs. Mm -hmm. um, we need it internally within the organization. But to Michelle's point, we also need to look outside of the organization so we can see those connections across the whole value chain. Uh, you know, some of the environmental taxes on the use of plastics would be an example of that. We need to understand the credentials of our suppliers, the composite of the raw materials coming into our organization to really be able to quantify the impact out. So, yes, this is a very, very broad topic. Yes, we need lots of connections within and outside of the organization. I still maintain that it will be finance crunching the numbers and modeling all of this. Thank you very much. There's that word modeling came up again. Thank you very much, John. Good provocative statement. I'm going around the table to Michelle Hasendong. So, Michelle, I'd like to combine your statement number one with statement number four. I put it in the notes for you. Uh, we've covered a little bit of both of these, but I'd like you to do a deeper dive and a little controversial here, and then we'll see what Simon and John have to say. So, statement number one from Michelle is sustainability used to be a marketing gimmick. Just let that sink in. Somebody mentioned putting a green sticker on a car. Is that just, yeah, our car is ecological. Okay, all right. But this is becoming the past as more and more companies understand that the green line is influencing the top and the bottom line. Okay, that's statement number one. Statement number four, everyone is talking about sustainability, but today it's impossible, he says, to compare different organizations really. There are many initiatives, but not a single language that everyone speaks when it comes to sustainability. Michelle, this almost seems foundational to our topic to me. Uh, you, you touched on it a little bit a few minutes yeah. ago, but let's do a deeper dive. Is, is it still a buzzword? Is it, yeah, we're going to go follow the latest speaker on the latest circuit and talk about saving the planet and zero carbon emissions and carbon paybacks, and we're going to save our lakes and our rivers, not our data lakes and data rivers. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw, I, I do shows on data lakes and swamps and had to get that in there. Yes, sustainable data swamps. There we go. Michelle, rescue me, please. Go ahead. I'm putting you on speaker view. All right. Um, well, I, I couldn't, let's say, let it go, let's say, before in, in at least a little bit in, in, uh, in, in my reaction, uh, especially to what John was, was saying. If we want to connect, let's say, between different organizations mm -hmm. and really want to understand, let's say, how sustainable we are across 
organizational borders, across the end-to-end value chain that we want to optimize from a sustainability perspective, and I mean environmental and social and all of the different aspects, um, then of course you need to be able to measure uh, or, or to speak the, the same language, I, I always say. Like in, and that's what finance is of course very known for. We always try to put everything into US dollars or in euros or whatever uh, currency um, and in fact, um, that's where we really um, are still struggling, uh, let's say, globally quite, quite a lot. So sorry for not, not, not immediately j- jumping on the marketing statements, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get to it right away. Uh, but I think um, there's, there is, of course, an evolution, but th- we're, we're not there where we would like to be. And, and I know there's, let's say, multiple organizations, including also EY. I, I just know that. Uh, and you, you might not want to call it out yourselves, but I know you are, let's say, heavily involved. Um, also, SAP is involved. Let's say a lot of different, let's say, corporates are involved in trying to get to some kind of a standardization there. Because let's say, let's say when we talk to, like when I talk to, uh, to people around sustainability, all kinds of things are thrown out uh, uh, the GRI, the Global Reporting Initiative, but also the UN uh, SDG statements, which basically have, let's say, a little to do with, with corporates. Um, the the EU, EU taxonomy, which luckily is going a little wi- wider and further than, than just the taxonomy, uh, but really try to k- kind of have a, a real definition behind. We already talked about ESG, which is, let's say, very much driven by the investors uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of, let's say, optimizing risk, uh, let's say, of, of their investments. Um, in a way, there's there's something derived uh, by from the GRI by the World Economic Economical Forum, which basically is again another framework. I'm just re- I, honestly, I need to look at a piece of paper. Just basically, other otherwise, I tend to forget all of those basically different approaches. And and I think let's say in order to get to a real clear view on how a particular organization is is is. Uh, is performing from a sustainability perspective, I think there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, let's say, and it's got, of course, data is crucial. We already mentioned it, but we really need to get to a higher level on, let's say, being able to compare across organizations. We're perfectly capable of doing that from a pure financial perspective, whether IFRS or, or different gaps. We all know those definitions. And so we kind of need to move into the direction of such kind of a, a new currency Mm-hmm. And and some 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 say well it's basically this CO two cost which might drive us in the right direction but uh, I think we're still not there and let's all put our shoulders under under this together to make this uh, possible to also kind of make it truthful and in in a way auditable uh, so that everybody basically can out of the box trust uh, trust this but it is fundamental I do agree with that um, and 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 I think there's. Well, there's a lot of work being done, but there's still a lot of work to do. Um, and this kind of, it's the fact that there's already a, work, a lot of work done, I think is also the proof that the typical marketing gimmick, which I refer to in one of my other statements that I submitted, uh, I think we're, is, is largely in the past. If you look at annual reports from years ago, there was a nice green or blue or whatever positive color storyline uh, in the intro uh, on the strategy, let's say, piece of the organization that was about it. Now there's more fundamental information in those annual reports because everybody understands that it's crucial. Of 
And they're also looking more and more ahead, let's say, towards the future to, to John's point. But yeah, being able to compare, I think, um, is, um, is still pretty cumbersome for now. Thank you, Michelle. And while you were speaking, we're going to get a quick response from Simon and John, but I found an interesting definition on Wikipedia of sustainability that speaks to your point. And it's sustainability can be defined as a socio-ecological process characterized by the pursuit of a common ideal. An ideal is by definition unattainable in a given time and space. However, by persistently and dynamically approaching it, the process results in a sustainable system. Maybe that's a little out there, but I thought it was interesting for our discussion talking about trust, talking about a common language, talking about goals. Simon, I'm going to get you in here for just about 60 to 90 seconds response to Michelle. Then John, you'll finish up and then we'll do a quick round of predictions, but you could make your comments to Michelle in the form of a prediction if you want. Simon Mites, go ahead. That's fine. So let me quickly... um agree with the one comment about uh, of one unite, uh, unified language is still missing. So I think that's one key aspect that feeds into creating more trust, more comparability to investors as well. Um, I see that particularly, for example, in the, in the voluntary offsetting market, there's still a big gap in terms of getting a proper legal structure behind it to get the investment flowing there as well. That's number one. Number two, you're talking about sustainability as a marketing gimmick. Um, I want to, there's been a lot of talk about greenwashing if you're looking uh, towards consumers as well. Uh, What I found that there is another phenomena next to all these numbers and like, and, 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 and and, and like bottom, bottom line, uh, and and bottom line, um, there is, a lot of companies, particularly in the SME sector, in SME companies, the German so-called Mittelstand, um, that really try to take a very authentic approach towards decarbonization and towards sustainability. They are very worried and they're taking, they're treading very slightly and slowly to make sure that all their efforts are showing the bottom line impact in terms of making this world a better place. Um, they're really um, hesitant when it comes to all everything around offsetting, for example. They really try to get um, the real impact without taking this step in between of offsetting their um, carbon footprint. Thank you, Simon. John Scott, I'll give you the last word, one sentence, just wrap up your point of view on what Michelle said. John, go ahead. Yeah, fundamental to have a common language. I agree, but that should not make stop us making a start now. I think organizations can make a start by selecting specific use cases, breaking the problem down into smaller parts. Those use cases could be, how do we uh, look at our investment options? Is it environmental taxes? They're quite broad ranging. Pick something that adds value to the organization. Uh, make a song in there. Thank you very much. I want to thank my three panelists and thank you to Chris Grundy. Behind the scenes, Chris and Birgit Starmans and Pras Chatterjee at SAP are sponsors of this longest running series under the Game Changers banner. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you also to our engineer, Aaron Keller at Voice America Radio, the business channel. And I want to close with my usual call to action here at the end. Listen up, gentlemen. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is now getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out 
and be a game changer today, just like Simon Meitz at EY, just like John Scott at EY, and just like Michelle Hasendongs at SAP. Everybody wave goodbye. Be safe, be smart, be savvy, be well, and we'll talk to you again soon. And we got to continue the sustainability topic. There's so much to talk about. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.